of you that believe that. Don't you believe that? And never thirst again. And, uh, you know, tonight I just need to make mention Joseph Baez. I want you to stand up if you would. James Simpson is at home sick. So, Brother Joseph Baez ran the sound this morning, and he's running it tonight. How many of you would not want to run the sound system at Tabernacle Baptist Church? Absolutely. So, if you just turn around and wave at Joseph and give him a thumbs up, say, hey, man, we appreciate you doing that. All right? All right. And, Joseph, don't break anything. All right. <laughs> no. Um, I appreciate him stepping in. Well, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like I'm, I don't, I don't feel like I'm at home tonight. You know, sometimes you sit in your living room, you're just, you're just at home. I feel like God's maybe just kind of let us sit in the living room for a little while and enjoy some good singing and the spirit has been good here. And, and if you're here and you say, well, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm telling you where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There's liberty. And it ought to be that way. It ought to be that way. And, uh, now, that's not going to be really along the same lines that we're going to be looking at in the Bible because we're just going to look at what's next. So, Titus chapter 2 in your Bible. What we've looked at in Titus chapter 1 is godliness that is in the church. And then we've been looking at godliness in the home. And we've looked at young men and aged men, young women and aged women. And now we, we seem to be taking a little bit of a departure from that. But God put it together, and I think we need to look at it. So the Bible says in Titus chapter 2, verse number 9 and 10, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Now, this doesn't have to do with the home, but it has to do with servants. I want you to look at it again. Exhort servants. A servant is somebody that attends to the wants or to the direction of somebody else. And when you have the word servant here, it can mean more than one thing. The Bible uses the word slave twice. Once in the book of Jeremiah, speaking of Israel, and then once in the book of Revelation chapter 18, and it talks about people that deal in slaves and the souls of men. So God understands slavery. There's a great book written by Alexander Hislop called Two Babylons. And what he says is he says there's an ecclesiastical Babylon, and then there's a political Babylon, and they merged together, and they dealt in the souls of men. That means a religious establishment. And in saying that, there are Bibles today that what they do is every time you find the word servant right there, they change it to the word slave. So in Romans chapter 6, it changes that those who are believers are those that have been made free from sin, that now we are slaves unto God. But I'm going to say this, I believe that God knows exactly what word he wants to use. And the reason I say that is this, because a slave is somebody that is involuntarily put under the direction and control of somebody else. That is somebody that against their will or because of necessity has to be placed under somebody. A servant is not the same way. A servant is by choice. In fact, maybe I should say it this way. How many of you in the building tonight believe that you're servants of the living God by choice and how good he's been to you? All right, I'm not a slave to God. He's not a taskmaster. I'm not chained and being pulled around by him. And the Bible speaks about how that Joshua, Joshua was Moses' servant. He wasn't Moses' slave. 
The Bible, speaking of Jesus in the book of Isaiah, probably about eight or nine times speaks of him as my servant. He was not a slave to God the Father. He was a servant. And that is something that I want to look at tonight. Now, the Bible, the Bible understands, the Bible understands slavery exists. And I'm not preaching on that tonight. But there are some people that think that the Bible endorses or promotes slavery. I don't believe the Bible promotes slavery any more than I believe the Bible promotes polygamy. Now, you can find men in the Bible that have more than one wife. That doesn't mean that God intended it to be that way. What God intended was he intended one man and one woman to be one flesh till death was to part them. And just because great men, Solomon and David, others that had more than one wife, doesn't mean that God endorses that. And the Bible understands slavery. In fact, your Bible has an entire book, one little book called Philemon. And Philemon, Philemon is about a man that was a slave, a runaway slave, but he got born again. And when he got born again, he was sent back to his master and said, now he is a profitable servant unto thee and me. And all I'm saying is the Bible deals very plainly with the subject matter at hand. So don't let somebody make you think that the Bible promotes slavery any more than the Bible promotes polygamy. But I will say this, you know, according to the Bible, you can become a slave because of debt. You do understand that. All right, take and put a little mark right there and go to 2 Kings chapter 4 just to make sure we understand what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 22. Now, we know Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he's old, and when he's, or train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Proverbs 22, 7 says that the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, if you look there in 2 Kings 4, the way that many times somebody became a slave in the Bible is this scenario. All right. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. So her husband, being a prophet, working with Elisha, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. So he was a good man. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. In other words, she's saying, The creditor is coming to take my boys to work off the debt that my husband incurred. Now, I've never done it, but how many of you ever heard or seen somebody offer to wash dishes on some television show because they didn't have the money to pay for their food? You ever, you ever seen that? What that is, is that's somebody that's working off their debt. And I, I think today, I think it probably wouldn't be a bad idea that uh, if somebody takes somebody else's money or somebody else does something to somebody else and refuses to pay their debt instead of letting them just go bankrupt, maybe it'd be good for them to work for somebody for a while. All right. But what happens is these men were going to take and use these boys as the payment for the debt. And that's one reason I'm just going to tell you tonight. It's a good, it's, listen, I understand we can be in debt for a home. A home appreciates in value. But I don't know that you need to be in debt for every new gadget and every new piece of furniture that they offer in today's world. You need to be careful of that. Now I told you I felt like I was at home. Now I'm getting a little cold wind up here. All right. There are a lot of good people. This is a good man. Feared the Lord. He was a servant of the Lord. But he got into debt. And because of that, it was going to cost his children. Now, that being said, that's just one of the ways that that happens. Now, Ezekiel 27, 13 says that they trade in persons. You know, sometimes in war, in conflict, people were taken. Daniel, the three Hebrew boys. 
they were taken as a result of conflict and they were made servants unto the king in Babylon. Joel 3 says they cast lots for, for, for people's souls, for those children that you could take and you could trade a boy for a harlot or a girl for a bottle of wine. And I don't believe God, God doesn't put that kind of value on a soul. You know what? God values a soul. He says that if you gained the whole world and lost your own soul, that you would be, that's the wrong way to view life. A soul is worth everything. So what I'm saying is the Bible deals with the idea of servants and slavery, all right? But now, we don't have to be afraid of what's in the Bible. We just read it. So go back, if you would, to Titus chapter 2. I also think the Bible uses the word servant. A servant could be paid. A servant could be one that was hired. So you could use that as an employee. And perhaps that's the real meaning or the aim of the passage is speaking about an employee of somebody else. But now, it doesn't say employee, but I'm going to read again what the Bible says. Exhort servants to be obedient in their own masters, to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So let's just say, let's say the idea is an employer and an employee that the master is the one that is giving the direction and the employee is the one that's following the direction. There's three things that I want you to notice that he gives instruction to those that are in the workforce. All right, number one, he says you need to be obedient. Do you see that? Number nine, verse nine, exhort servants to be obedient. That means you're supposed to do what you've been told. You're supposed to follow directions. I, I want to say this tonight. I, I believe that tabernacle is full of people of character. And, and I believe that if you work in a secular workplace, I think you ought to be able to follow the directions that have been given to you. You ought to be a good representative of somebody that claims to know Christ because when you're asked to do something, you get it done and you do it the way you've been asked to do it. That's why the Bible says to be obedient under their own masters and to please them well in all things. You, you ought to be somebody that does your job. Can I also say that ought to work at church as well? If you teach at Tabernacle Christian School, you ought to be obedient to the people that are in authority. <laughs> I told you it's getting a little cold up here. Well, it works out in the workplace, but it doesn't work here. Oh, no. If you work in the home, you ought to be obedient to the people that are in authority. If you work in the Bible college, if you work in the radio station, you're not at liberty just to say, I'm going to run things the way I want to run them, that you're supposed to be obedient, cheerfully and immediately. You're supposed to take and enact what somebody else has asked you to do. And God says, exhort them, encourage, do what I'm doing right now, preach, preach to these born-again believers that are servants, that they need to be obedient to their own masters. Now, put a little mark right there and go with me, if you would, to Colossians 3, just a few pages back to your left. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, not very far. The Bible definitely speaks about this same relationship in other passages. Ephesians chapter 6, for instance. The Bible speaks about that relationship there. 1 Peter chapter 2 speaks to that same end and says that servants are to be subject to their own masters, and they're supposed to be subject unto those that are good and gentle and those that are forward. So it doesn't matter, good or bad, they're supposed to be obedient. Now look what the Bible says, Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse number 22, servants, obey in all things your masters. Now go back up and look at it. There you see verse 19, husbands, children, fathers. So there's the home, there's the family, just like we see in Titus. And now in Colossians 3, verse 22, servants, Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, 
not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. In other words, your motive should be a single heart that fears the Lord. When I'm in the workplace, I ought to conduct myself right because I know that I'm supposed to be pleasing God and not the person that's writing the check. I have an obligation to God to do what's right. And then he goes on to say, not just your motive, but he also says in verse 23, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. My effort. Listen, I think you ought to put forward your best effort in the workplace. If, if, it doesn't matter if you own the business or if you have people working for you, you ought to put forth your best effort. If you get paid for 40 hours, you ought to work 40 hours. That's right. That doesn't mean you can't take a break. What I'm saying is if you, if you're, you ought to put forth effort. That's true in our Christian school. If you're a teacher, you ought to put forth great effort. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you ought to put forth great effort. It's not just something menial that doesn't matter how I do it. No, we ought to take and engage our hearts, the Bible says, as we're doing it to the Lord and not unto men. And then he says, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. Well, that's unusual. When you get a paycheck, it comes with somebody's name on it. But really the bottom line, he didn't say paycheck, he said reward. How many believe one day we're going to be judged according to what we do in the body and how we acted in this body, how we used our time, how we used our resources, and God's going to give a reward that's eternal, which is a whole lot better than a paycheck that the IRS taxes. Amen. So you get a reward. So what he's saying is that you need, to, you need to be engaged and being obedient. If somebody gives you instructions, then follow them. Do what they've asked you to do. And even if you don't like it, do it anyway. If you work for somebody and they ask you to do something and you don't like it, you ought to do it because you're not doing it for them. You're doing it because of your testimony before the Lord. Boy, the cold wind's just getting stiffer and stiffer every minute. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I, I believe I'm getting a little more pushback on this than I did about the whole thing about the women and the young women and everything else. You don't talk to me about the way I work. Listen, the way you work is just important the way you run your home. It's same, same character that you run the home with ought to be what you do in the workplace. And I'm going to show you that in a minute. So you need to be, learn how to be obedient. That, that's, that's true of children. Children obey your parents and the Lord for this is what? It's right. You ought to obey what your parents ask you to do. Now, if they ask you to do something that goes contrary to the scripture and sometimes that happens, then what we do is we understand that we ought to obey God rather than men. My dad, my dad was data processing superintendent at Monsanto. And each department had to take and put together this great big dinner. And when they would put the dinners together, then they had to choose the menu and all the entertainment and all of that. And then all the big important people came and sat down. Well, whenever my dad's department did it, he always did some things that they knew it was his department. Number one, he didn't put cigars out on the table. There wasn't any wine in the glasses and any wine glasses. And sure enough, they'd go in there and say, well, it must be, must be data processing's turn. Wyman's job, he's not going to put any alcohol and cigars out here. You know what I say? Amen. That ought to be the reputation you have. All right? I, you don't have to take, listen, when I was an officer, and we would go to what's called officer call, and all these guys would have a lot more brass. I was a second lieutenant, as low as you can get on the totem pole. And I mean, all these other people, all this brass, they're all walking around with drinks in their hand and, and mixed drinks, and you're supposed to rub shoulders because these are the people that you're going to work for as you move up. Well, you know what? I think it would have been improper and inappropriate for me to walk around with a can of beer in my hand, even if I didn't drink it to fit in. 
My character ought not to be that way. So if, if somebody asks you to do something contrary to the Bible, I understand saying, now wait a minute, that's contrary to Scripture. But if it's not contrary to Scripture and they want something done a certain way that you don't think it should be done that way, if you work for them, go ahead and do it the way they want it done, not the way you want it done. Amen. Amen. Now, he goes on to say, if you're back in Titus now, Titus chapter 2, that we're to be obedient. Now, I tell you what this also tells me. He says these servants to be obedient. One of the things that I'm thinking in my mind, and if, if the Holy Ghost addresses the church of Ephesus and the church of Colossae, and Peter speaks about it, and, and here Titus is being addressed about it, it sounds like to me that you might have had servants and free men sitting in the same church. How about I go a step further? Well, I wonder if you, have, you might have had some slaves and some free men sitting in the same church. So I don't know what I'd think about that. Well, I'll say this. The same Savior for a free man is the same Savior for a man that's indentured and serving. Same spirit that lives inside of you is the same spirit that lives in somebody else of another color. That's right. They must have been there seated together because he's addressing the church of Ephesus and Colossae. And, and listen, I, I appreciate our church. We support so many missionaries. We have so many different people here that speak so many different languages. I was hopeful today when Brother Bobby got up here. He speaks Portuguese. I mean, we have people speak Portuguese. We have people speak French. We have people that speak Spanish. We have people that live in Africa, that live in India. I mean, we have all kind of mixture here. We have people that speak Southern. Right. And I'm, what I'm saying is this, they're all, they're all together, and the reason we're together, are you listening? The reason we're together is because we've got the same Bible and the same Spirit and the same Savior. Right, right. So all the talk that takes place in important places of decision-making about how that we are just such a divided nation and how there's such racism, I don't believe you find racism inside of Tabernacle Baptist Church. And it ought to be that way. But these men, th th he's telling them, you need to be, you need to be obedient. Then, then look at the next thing he says in verse number nine. The Bible says that to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. <laughs> you know, I think it's funny. You, you look that up and everybody wanted to give you what the, what the Greek says about that, what this tense says about that. How many of you think not answering again means not answering again? <laughs> you say, what do you mean by that? Talking back. Saying something back to somebody that said something to you that's in authority. In fact, what I'd say is this. I think it's important the kind of attitude you have toward those that are in authority. How do you speak to them? How do you do that? There are people here that I say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, too. I say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, to my children, to my wife. I try to address them the way I think that I would want to be addressed by somebody else. I definitely, I'm not, going to, I'm not just going to say, okay, well, okay, all right, Melvin, come on up here, Melvin. I'm not going to do that. I feel, in fact, I feel guilty just saying that right now, Dr. Dakin. I'm not going to call him that. Now, what I mean by that is I'm not just going to use a term that is just uh, not understanding who I'm speaking to. In fact, I'd say this, not only is it important how you address people, but it's important how you address them when they're not present. You know, if you talk about your boss like he is a sorry, low-down, rotten scoundrel, everybody knows how you feel about him. Then when he comes around, you say, oh, how you doing this day, boss? You know what they think? You hypocrite, you. A friend of mine years ago, he had a business, 
And in his business, he, he said, he said uh, I, I asked him some questions. He said to me one day, he said, he, said, uh, he said, Joel, when I go into a room and a man is sitting down on a job and doesn't get up, I don't say a word to him. Because that man has been working hard enough that he knows if I were to ask him, he is sitting down for a good reason. He said, but the guys that jump up and grab something when I walk in, they really bother me. And you know, I would just say this, you and I ought to be careful how we answer again. In fact, not just what you say about that individual and to them, but then about what they make, the decisions that they make. We live in such a crazy society. <laughs> how many of you think if you got paid $8 million a year to coach football, you'd be happy? $8 million a year. And you know what? Here's what happens. On Saturday, on Sunday, on Monday, people talk about this guy making this decision, and he should have done it like this. Listen, if, if you were really any better, they would pay you to make those decisions. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, you mean you can look and see what he did, and in hindsight, you can make that decision. Listen, you can't live life by looking at what did happen. You've got to make decisions about what needs to happen. <laughs> that is not an easy thing. Somebody help me. Would somebody help me with that? That is not an easy thing. When, when, when you are the person responsible, it is not always easy to make that decision. And you know what? Sometimes you're flat out wrong. Now, not Dr. Aiken. He hadn't been wrong in 22 years. Amen. That's right. But me, on the other hand, I'm going to get it wrong. All right, I'm going to get it wrong. But it's not, it's not an easy thing. And then not only that, when it says not answering again, you know what, we ought to turn there. I'm going to turn there because we might as well just get the whole plate tonight. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I'm talking about the workplace. All right? I'm talking about number one, you need to be obedient. All right? That means you need to follow directions. You need to do what you've been asked to do. And then the second thing you need to do is you need to not answer again. All right? Philippians chapter 2. Look, the Bible says in verse number 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, God is working in your life. Aren't you glad God's working in your life? Sometimes I don't understand that work. John the Baptist didn't understand it when he was in prison. He even sent two of his disciples to Jesus and said, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? I'm certain if you go down through history and you look in the Bible, Job didn't understand the will of God. All he had to do was live, and it was, he, he didn't know it. But the Bible says that it's God which worketh in you both to will and do his good pleasure. Now look at verse 14. Do all things without, can you say the word for me? Murmurings and what? You know, there are some people at work, every time they get told something to do, they got to complain about it, don't they? Now, I know not this crowd. This crowd, we're just going to say, well, if that's what they told them to do, I'm going to do it with a cheerful attitude. Come on, only, about six of you said amen. You're not helping me right there. Instead of complaining, well, why are we doing it like that? And why are they doing it like that? Homer didn't sing the third verse. Well, Homer gets to choose how many verses he wants to sing. Right. Gets to choose the songs. And then if I want to sing a song, I didn't ask him to sing page whatever that was. Just in my heart. Hey, I'd like to hear you. I didn't even ask him if he wanted to sing a solo. Now, Brother Stevens, I'd like to hear you sing that. And did a great job. Can you imagine? He goes home and say to his wife, I tell you what, that preacher ever does that to me again, I'm just going to say, I can't sing. 
Do you know other people watch when you have attitudes at work? You talk about how good God is and how blessed you are and then something comes up and you're supposed to do this and you're asked to do this and all you do is just whine and murmur and complain. Look, that is not what we're supposed to be engaged in. Not what we're supposed to be engaged. After all, we're going to a different world. If they want to paint the wall purple, I'm going to a place whose building makers God streets made out of gold. Amen. I'm not worried about everything going on down here. Go back if you would to Titus chapter, chapter 2. So number one, be obedient. Number two, How's your attitude? How's your attitude? Your actions mean something. Your attitude means something. And then look at the next thing, verse number 10, not purloining. <laughs> um, you know, that's the only time that word occurs in your Bible. Purloining. If I got up here tonight and I said, I tell you what, God does not want you to be purloining. You say, I don't know the meaning of that word. Neither did I. You say, what did you do? I looked it up. I went to a dictionary and I read purloining. What does that mean? And so I found out. But you know, there's a lot of books that I read unless I'm reading Calvin and Hobbes' comic book that I don't know the, word, I don't know the meaning of. A lot of words that I don't know. So I just look them up in a dictionary. And look, so he says, not purloining. So what does that mean? Purloining. Here's what that means. It means to steal or to plagiarize, but especially to take from somebody that you know. Purloining is when you betray a trust. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. David found out that Bathsheba was Uriah's wife. That was a trust then. Bathsheba's at home, Uriah's on the battlefield, David, wrong place, wrong time. But he, instead of taking and saying, I'm not going to betray that, then he did something. He took something that did not belong to him and he broke a trust that he should not have broken. You know, sometimes people make fun again. They'll say that word's not in your Bible. So many new versions don't even put the word purloining there. But I, I looked it up also, and Edgar Allan Poe, who I'm not necessarily a fan of, quote the raven evermore, all right, 1844, he wrote, he wrote a, a, a short story named The Purloined Letter, which was about a stolen letter that was about blackmailing somebody in royalty, 1844. Now, I know y'all have all read that five times. But you know what that tells me? That tells me somebody was using a word, are you listening, that came out of the Bible. Don't you think we'd be better off using Bible words than using the words that are being pa passed around today? Amen. Filthy words today. Well, look, so he says, not in other words, it, your trust is important. What somebody trusts you with. And then that word fidelity, same verse, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. Fidelity is faithfulness. And especially, let me tell you what we do. What we do is we say that somebody uh, basically was, was, was uh, their marriage, their infidelity was one of the problems. That they, they betrayed that trust, all right? And, and you should really, your, your husband, your husband should trust you as a wife. And as a wife, you should trust your husband. There shouldn't be any unfaithfulness there. There ought to be faithfulness there. And you ought not to betray something that you have entrusted to one another. And so what he's saying is he's saying, look, you servants, I want you to take care of the trust that you've been given. How many of you think that you can steal a whole lot more than just money? I think you ought to be careful with the information that you've been given. Sometimes because of where you are, you get information that others don't have. As best that I understand, I have been here for five years. We've got the same three treasures, Brother Wallace, Brother Meyer, 
and Brother Nally. I, I do not know who gives what in this church. If I get a big check like that man put in my hand, I mean, I have to know who that was, but I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea who gives what in this church. And the reason I don't do that is the same reason I didn't do it in Alabama because I'm afraid I might be swayed by a large amount not knowing what somebody actually makes. And then taking and saying, well, I, didn't, I only saw this person give a little amount not knowing again what they make. But as far as I know, I have never heard of our treasures. They've never come to me and told me about one of you and how much you gave or didn't give. And it ought to be that way. It ought to be that you can trust people with information that they have. And not just information, but you ought to be able to trust people around your personal items. Hey, can I say this tonight? You, you ought not to be messing around in somebody else's personal items. You ought not to be, listen, of all things, you definitely don't need to be in somebody else's purse. And if you're a male, you absolutely don't need to be in somebody's purse. Come on, say amen to that. That is right on the money. You don't have any business there. You don't have any business going through somebody's desk. You don't have any Listen, you have no business taking and putting your hands on somebody else's personal property because it belongs to them. And if they're trusting you, then you ought to not purloin and take something that doesn't belong to you. Amen. I think you ought to be careful about valuable items. I think you ought to be careful about what, what you do with the things that are put in your care. You know, we've had all kind of meat that's been given to the children's home. Could I get an amen from our children? Don't you like meat? Or we, maybe we could go and we could get a bunch of Brussels sprouts and turnip greens and black-eyed peas. Wouldn't y'all rather have a whole lot of that instead of like hamburgers? They're all looking at me like, I hope he's not serious. I hope he's not serious. But you know, when somebody gives that to the home, they're not giving it to me. You know what I think would be wrong? I think it'd be wrong for me to walk over and say, give me that pack of ribeye that I saw somebody bring in here. I'm going to take that for myself. That doesn't belong to me. That belongs to them. And just because I'm the pastor, well, you're the pastor, you can do what you want to do. What a terrible thing. I, I, I've heard that only a few times since I've been here. My children cannot do whatever they want to do because they're the pastor's children, and neither can any other staff member's child do what they want to do here. Who your parents are does not give you liberty to do what you want to do. The position you have as a deacon doesn't give you the liberty to do what you want to do. You know what we ought to do? We ought to be careful with the valuable things that are around here. We ought to be careful with that. If you get to drive a company trunk, you ought to be careful with it. Because if you take it mud riding, it might get stuck and then everybody's going to know and you're going to lose your job. Right. Not purloining. You say, well, now, you've been talking to us about being employed. Look, that's exactly right because I'm talking to you about what the Bible says. Now, look at the end of verse 10. This is really important. All of these things, being obedient, not answering again, not purloining, the last phrase says that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Do you see that in your Bible? In other words, that servant, by his life, is adorning the doctrine of God. Maybe I could say it this way. When you follow instructions of your employer, you know what that does? That casts a positive light on you following the instructions of God. All right? When you take and you say, I'm going to be careful about the way I respond to authority, then that says volumes about you saying, well, I'm going to do what God asked me to do. I'm going to follow him. That, that 
embellishes the doctrine of God. When you take and you say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be careful with what's been entrusted to me and the things that I have in my hand, I'm going to be careful with. Well, that says volumes about you when you're careful about the gospel. Hey, don't you think God entrusted us with the gospel? Then we ought to be careful with that. And what that does, the Bible says that it adorns the doctrine of God. The doctrine of God then is made more beautiful. It is made something that is decorative. In fact, when you look up the word adorn in the Bible, I, I, I just went through nine times a bride is adorned with her jewels. Now, I've got a daughter that's going to get married, and there's already a bouquet that's been made and a dress that's been made. And, and, and when you get those things, a bride is, is adorned. She's set apart from what normal people would say, that, that's, that, that she's a bride. The same thing said about the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21 too. The Bible says it comes down out of heaven as a bride that's been adorned. And you can go and look at it, the temple in Luke chapter 21. The temple is adorned by these goodly stones. In other words, somebody looks at the temple mount and they see all the way that it's built and they say, wow, that is just absolutely beautiful. I've been to a few places in my life that I walked away from and said, that was absolutely beautiful. God makes things wonderful in creation, but every now and then man makes something that you have to walk away from and you have to say, wow. Sterling Castle in Scotland. We walked away from that, just looked at it and said, wow, that's really impressive. The Bible goes on to say that a woman in 1 Peter 3, that she's adorned by the spirit she has, a meek and quiet spirit and subjection to her husband, that she's adorned with jewels that you can't even see but are there in her life that she's making something beautiful. You know, we have talked about people that have gone to heaven like Mildred Merritt. Don't you think Mildred Merritt was adorned and made the doctrine of God beautiful? I do. She lived, she lived what she talked about. She, and she, she was a sweet lady. She was adorning the doctrine of God. Now look at the opposite of that. You're there in Titus. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Because you do have an influence. When, when you have the right attitude toward those in authority, when you follow instructions exactly the way you've been given them, and when you're, when you're somebody that can be trusted with things of value in your hand, that, that takes and it, it adorns the doctrine of God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 1, look what the Bible says. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not, what's that last word say? Blasphemy. How many of you ever invited somebody to church and they refused to come because they said church is full of hypocrites? You ever had that happen? I'm not going to that church. That's full of hypocrites down there. Of course, my reply to that is, how many of y'all think Walmart's full of hypocrites? You think, the bank, you think the bank might be full of hypocrites? How about the government? You think it might be full of Well, we won't go there. We'll just stop. And all I'm just saying is, that, here's what I'm saying, that by your actions as an employee, that somebody can look at your life, they say it's a good employee, they have a great attitude, they do exactly what I tell them to do, and they're careful with what we entrust them with. And then that gives you the opportunity to talk about how good your God is. Instead of them saying, you go to what, such and such church? I tell you what, do y'all not have a God down there that's honest? Why would you be dishonest? And that takes and it puts a mark on the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Titus, it says about those aged women that they don't, and those young women that they, that they do nothing to cause the word of God to be blasphemed. The way you live 
affects the way other people think about God. Now, I'm not in lifestyle evangelism, but I think you ought to live, you ought to live like you're born again. So that when you talk about being born again, you got more solid ground to stand on. Right. So that's what God is encouraging these servants to do. Be obedient. Do what you've been, follow instructions. Follow instructions. Have the right kind of attitude. Have the right attitude in the workplace. The, tomorrow, the right attitude. Not answering again. And being careful with what you've been given that's valuable. And when you do that, God says, I'm going to take in that person right there. They're adorning the doctrine of God to where it might make a difference in somebody else's life. I'll give you an illustration and I'm finished. And uh, a friend of mine up in New York, he, um, he tells a story about how he got saved. And um, he talks about all kinds of things. Man, he was a bodybuilder and winning competitions. He was dating his, his the cheerleader for a wife. And um, he's working at Kodak and making all kinds of money. He's got the car. He's got the boat. He's got all these things. And I mean, listen, he is living an enjoyable life. But there's a guy at work that's born again. And just like a thorn that gets in your hand that festers, He'd see that guy, and that born-again guy just bugged him. And finally, he went up to him one day, and he said, Hey, what is it with you? And this guy looked at him, and he said, Well, I've got peace, and you don't. And he walked off. He said he didn't like him, hated him. But it got to bother him about that thing about peace. And seeing another man the way he lived, though he had all these things, it caught his attention. And he said, you know what? I believe he's got something. I believe he's got something that's real. He's got something better than what I have. I got the boat. I got the car. I got the girl. I got the muscles. Well, he got peace. I believe I'd rather trade this to get a little bit of that right there. And you know what he did? He got born again. You say, why? Because somebody adorned the doctrine of God. We ought to represent him well, shouldn't we, church? In this building, in all the ministries on the grounds, outside, we ought to adorn the doctrine of God. Amen. All right. If you stand to your feet, please. Thank you for your attention tonight. Please take this with you to the workplace. That doesn't mean if the workplace is across the street or if it's across the parking lot or if it's on the other side of Greenville. Take that to the workplace. Sometimes you might have to make an apology. Hey, listen, I just want you to know I lost my temper, said things I shouldn't say. I want you to know I'm born again. I want to try to get that fixed. Listen, we ought to represent Jesus Christ well. He's worthy. All right, Lord, we thank you for the night, and I pray you would help us to be exactly what we were exhorted to be, servants that, that are obedient, servants that are not answering again, have the right attitude. God, help us, to, help us to show the world there's a difference in what you've done on the inside of our lives and what they have. And Lord, may they be thirsty for it. And I pray, God, you'd bless us now as we go our separate ways tomorrow night. Lord, bring us back here. Help our dear brother to have the message that we need to hear. Help us be in our place, Lord. 
Help us have our family here with us. And Lord, I know in the, it's an evening, but Lord, we can stay up for ball games. We can stay up for so many things. Lord, certainly we could be here to hear your word being opened and preached to us. Help us, Lord. We, we want to hear from you. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>